Hello and uh, welcome to this uh, introduction to some of the some of the pieces that we cover on the Spirit Box Patreon. So today this is a lecture on gin and gin hybridism uh, throughout history, uh, predominantly mythology across the uh, across the Islamic world. We also dip into kind of where hybridism pops up in some of British and Irish folklore. This is one of four lectures. I think it's the shortest one. Uh, we also get into the kind of the entire kind of origin mythology of where the jinn are from, what they are deemed to be. Uh, we get into the various different categories of jinn, how they uh, how they appear. We also talk about how magicians engage and uh, indeed various different types of magical acts that incorporate or petition the gin for their intercession so if that sounds like your bag then click the patreon link below and come and check out the other videos right let's get into it okay so we're picking up where we left off and uh, this is part two of the gin lectures so we're looking at the idea of hybridism when we just come from having an initial discussion on uh, the Queen of Sheba, Belquise, uh, and the mythology around her being a part jinn. But there are some other interesting characters who claim similar ancestry. Um, so Sargon of Akkad, this particular quote is attributed to him. Sargon, the mighty king, king of Akkad, am I? My mother was a changeling, my father I knew not. So Sargon of the Sargon the Great, um, who ruled the Akkadian Empire uh, 4,000 years ago, is alleged to have claimed to be half jinn. Now this is kind of a thing that, that kings tend to do, right? They, they claim to be semi-divine. It's always a good way to reinstate your power and emphasize your right to rule by basically saying, I'm part God, or I'm fundamentally higher than you on the on the uh, on the great cosmic food chain not just by my office but by my birth you know we have the french kings were called the sun kings um, um the uh the chinese emperors claimed to be part divine the um dragon kings i remember correctly so this is always a common thing people always claim kind of a divine right to rule so it's not really a surprise that that sargon would would do this what is also interesting is you have this idea of kind of wonderkins of these wonder children who are of dubious parentage or unknown parentage um i mean jesus christ is probably one of the big ones right i mean I need to be a bit careful about how I describe my dubious parentage. Well, there's no human uh, father. Let's let's put it that way. But Merlin is a similar similar character. Merlin has no human father, so he's a he's an a immaculate uh, conception, as it were, um, which some attribute to kind of fairies, some attribute to angels. The broad picture I'm painting is that. There seems to be kind of a, a constant mythology of these part human wonder beings. Um, and culturally, there, there, there's an idea of this is useful for me to assert my authority to rule. And what also, is there something else going on there? So I kind of wanted to look at change, the idea of changelings first. He uses this, this term, this phrase has um, the term changeling in it. So... Changelings, I'm sure you'll be aware of the idea of, it's the theme of the swap child. 
common in medieval literature right up into I'd say the um, late 19th century early 20th century in Ireland changelings were believed to be a thing um, uh, I mean belief, belief in changelings in Jordan, Ireland I mean the most famous cases is in 1895 when Bridget Cleary uh, was murdered by her husband who believed it to be a changeling and that Bridget had been taken by the fairies not only that, it was Bridget's father who helped hold uh, hold Bridget down while she was murdered in the belief that it would return um, the real Bridget to them. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Um, simple charms such as inverted coats or open iron scissors left dangling over the, the, the crib where the child sleeps. Uh, things like that were employed. Uh, iron seems to be a universal thing to repel. Um, spirits or entities of this kind, be it the um, be it the jinn, be it the yakshinis, iron always seems to be a repellent material, um, which is which is interesting. We'll get into that later, or probably in part three of this uh, of this uh, series. Now, jinn hybridism. When we kind of step past the kind of the idea of the right to rule, the idea of um, changelings being a method of explaining children afflicted with unexplained diseases, disorders, developmental disabilities, um, which kind of Lilith is the embodiment of, right? Lilith is the embodiment of human fear uh, for their children in the face of nature. Like, and I think if we look at it, Try and look at it in a way of of not uh, not how a modern looks at it. Look at it in terms of two hundred years ago, where you had high child mortality rates. You know, um, uh, you know, li life was extremely challenging, and if you made it, you know, you'd done well. There was a very high child mortality rate, and that's a terrible fear. It's a fear for a terrible fear for any parent. But it's just the face of nature. It's the true face of nature. Life feeds on life. There is an absolute brutality that we tend to gloss over, but it's real. You know, and I think a lot of kind of witchcraft recognizes that. That the the face of nature is is a beautiful one, but it also has fangs. Um anyway, move on from that. So gin hybridism and by extension fairy hybridism um is not quite the leap that you think there, there, there's a lot of stuff there in the folklore huge amount in the folklore and we'll talk about the irish stuff at a later day i'll be able to do a separate piece on that but gin hybridism is an idea supported in some of the hadiths um so in the book hidden intercourse eros and sexuality in the history of western esotericism um by jeffrey uh Kripal, uh there's a quote uh, attributed to um, Lat al Marjan, I believe. And among you are those who are expa expatriated, the Mukhagrabin. And this, he explained, it means crossed with jinn. So the, some of you out there are crossed with jinn. Now, as I said, the same idea exists within Irish and British lore. 
given the amount of amorous uh, or given the amorous nature of fairly based very human based relationships it's not surprising you know folklore and as i said we'll get into this in more detail but folklore in ireland holds numerous families having fairy heritage you know um or or silky heritage it's 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 a reasonably common thing there's more names than you think have that kind of family folklore uh, i mean if, if you look at the great like scottish witch hunts you know um and, and like say the case of andrew man so when he was when he was on trial at the age of 74 for witchcraft he confessed to having a sexual relationship with the queen of elfant and having conceived numerous children uh, with her and this is this is on 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 record as part of these trials i'm not going to try and read out the thing because it's um you know i'll just do a terrible scottish accent getting back to um getting back to the gin and hybridism where what does hybridism come from? Ultimately, it comes from the idea of a sexual congress between these beings and human beings. And that hybrid is a result of that congress. Now, it tends to be, there tends to be some rules around this. So the idea of a human male and a, a gin female produces a kind of a more um, gin-focused child, an immaterial child, or a subtle being like a gin, whereas the other way, will produce a more physical hybrid. That's kind of some of the lore around it. Um, just to discuss the kind of the scale of this, I wanted to kind of focus on, on a Moroccan uh, folkloric figure called Aisha Kwandisha. Now, Aisha Kwandisha is a female mythological figure within uh, the North African country of Morocco. Um, she is kind of one of a number of folkloric uh, characters who have, have quite distinct personalities. And she's typically depicted as a beautiful young woman who has the legs of a hoofed animal, such as a goat or a camel, just like the Queen of Sheba. And descriptions can vary from region to region, which doesn't surprise me. It tends to be the same with these beings. There is a, there is a cultural variance based on location. Um, well, she's said to be the beautiful young woman who has the legs of a goat or a similar creature who seduces handsome young men. Now, there's an interesting interview with uh, American novelist and composer Paul Bowles uh, at Rolling, with Rolling Stone magazine in 1974. And in this interview, he describes some of the local lore on Aishi Kondisha. And he'd lived in Tangier since 1947, and this interview took place in 1947. So I'm going to kind of read part of it to you. It's going to be a little clunky, so bear with me. Um, so she is legion. She's manifold. I have a book that says about 25 years ago, there were 35,000 men in Morocco married to her. Okay, 35,000. Um, a lot of people in Bur Rashid, the psychiatric hospital, are married to, to her. What exactly happens if you look at her? Then you are married to her, and that's that. You begin behaving strangely. There are several well-known husbands of Aisha Kandisha around Tangiers. They walk along brooks and riverbeds, hoping to hear her voice. You see them wandering, a contagious psychosis. Right. And when they find Kandisha again, they make love to her right there. It doesn't matter who's there. So you can see, it seems to be an overwhelming thing. People become subsumed 
into these characters. Like I said, these human-gin interactions don't tend to work out well for the human. So, getting into gin appearances. So, this is one of three broad major categories that I would kind of classify the shape of, of gin. You've got zoomorphic manifestation, you've got gin in the form of storms and shadows, and then anthropomorphic manifestation. So jinn are assumed to be able to appear in the shape of various animals, such as scorpions, cats, owls, and onagers. The dog is often related to the jinn, the black dog in particular. However, piebald uh, dogs are also identified with jinn. Um, and that association is tends to be an Arabic literature thing. Um, and interesting, you will have the idea of the black dog being associated with um, a demonic force or an otherworldly force, like um, you might say in, in in fairy literature in Ireland and Britain. You got the idea of um, oh, what's it called? The black um, oh, I can't black shug, this this great beast of a dog roaming the the British countryside. Um, serpents are animals associated with jinn. Uh, Islamic traditions know many narratives concerning a serpent who is actually a genie. Uh, however, the jinn cannot appear in the form of wolves. The wolf is thought to be the natural predator of the jinn, who contrasts the jinn by his noble character and disables them to vanish. Quite interesting. Um, I find that extremely interesting um, because the wolf is a figure that... Um, humans are said to uh, transform into. There is the werewolf. There's certain uh, groups of witches uh, who would transform into animals and wolf is one of those forms. Don't know if that's connected, that's just a um, interesting hypothesis. Um, uh, jinn in the form of shadows and storms. The jinn are also related to the wind. Uh, they may appear as mists or sandstorms. So remember that from the very the first presentation that the jinn were said to be created from the heat of the Simund wind from the Gaza Plateau. So the heat of the wind, the desert wind is what they are created from. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Also, we get the idea of like dust devils in in deserts. The idea of these like sand, these spouts of of like mini tornadoes that go across the desert. Um, Zubar Ibn al-Wam, who was, who was held to have had accompanied Muhammad during his lecture to the jinn, is said to view the jinn as shadowy ghosts with no individual structure. According to a narration, Ghazali asked Tabasi, a, fa a famous for jinn incantations, to reveal the jinn to him. Accordingly, Tabasi showed him the jinn, seeing them as they were like a shadow on a wall. After Ghazali requested to speak to them, Tabasi stated that for now he could not see more. <clears throat> so, although sandstorms begin, are believed to be caused by jinn, others such as Abu Yashi Zarakaria, Ibn Muhammad al-Khwazini, and Ghazali attribute them to natural causes. Otherwise, sandstorms are thought to be caused by battles between different groups of jinn. Now, the jinn are also said to travel in the wind, right? The travel by air. So when um, King Solomon dispatched them to, to build the city of Palmyra, they flew through the air instantaneously to do so and were able to 
take this undertaking through their ability of flight and to manipulate um, heavy objects with ease moving through the air. Um, again, correlation, we have the Shigiha, the fairy wind, fairies traveling in the wind. Um, so that's where we get a kind of a lot of those correlations. Now, um, anthropomorphic manifestation for the idea of a kind of um, the beings taking partial human form rather than uh, zoomorphic manifestations. So the idea of the Queen of Sheba, the idea of of that the Bernie relief of Lilith with their bottom half being that of an owl, and Aisha Kandisha as we discussed earlier. So a common characteristic of the jinn is their lack of individuality but they may gain individuality by materializing in human forms, uh, but also their anthropomorphic shape. They, they stay part animal. They are not fully human. So therefore, can we get, we get a kind of a lot of illustrations of individual jinns being depicted as monstrous and anthropomorphized creatures with body parts from different animals or humans with animal traits. Um, so the idea is they stay part animal but their bodies are depicted as kind of out of two or more different species. Some of them have the hands of cats or the heads of birds or the wings that rise from their shoulders. These kind of um, therianthropic figures. Now I find this particularly interesting because this is virtually everywhere. If you look back through human history, from the walls of you know France's um, cave art, you know, from from the walls of the caves, are, are painted with our our, our prehistoric ancestors, the same figures are depicted, part human, part animal. Um, the devil, angels, the Egyptian gods, same thing happens again and again. So there's something deep within the human psyche that's trying to express itself there. Something about our reality that um, manifests again and again through this anthropomorphic uh, archetype. And going back to the zoomorphic uh, manifestations before we, we kind of move on you think about the the witches familiar what form do the witches familiar come in you know the, the idea of cats being a familiar again and again you know um and there's strange things in, in in british folklore as well so think about like um jed the mongoose and i'll um I might do something on that actually. Jed the mongoose is a pretty, pretty bonkers story, um, which I'll get some links to. Okay, so that is it for part two. The next thing we'll be going through are the categories of gin. Okay, that's it for me. Take care and talk soon.